0: Welcome to the Family Worship Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy the following message from Pastor Ray Kirkland. Uh, we've been talking about some basic revelations that we need to understand about healing. and These are some, just a little review of where we've been a little bit. And we started out with one of the first things is we've got to know that his name is I am the Lord who heals you. Exodus fifteen twenty six, which is just uh, his name, the Lord. That word Lord there is Jehovah Rapha. And he's a covenant God. Part of his covenant is that you, you as you serve and love him, he'll bless and heal you and protect you. And, and, and he wants you to know him as a God who heals. We talked quite a bit about that. Then we went on to talk about God who promised us that we would always be able to recognize the Messiah by the anointing in his life. And so when Jesus came, he started casting out devils, healing the sick, the blind saw, the lame walked. And they were able to identify him because of the miraculous. And that's, it doesn't say it stopped with Jesus. That that continues. So people recognize the Lord when the miraculous starts to happen. When you go to a, another nation, another church, anywhere, and, and the miraculous starts to happen, instantly people rec- recognize the Lord is in the house and it changes the whole atmosphere. And so he promised that that would remain, that that's something that we would always be able to do is recognize him because of the anointing, the power, the glory of God touching in a church or in a people. Then we went on to talk about that we've all been commissioned by Jesus to heal. Look at your neighbor say, that includes you. Everybody in here has been commissioned to heal, okay? It really, it really has. So this, this this morning when I was praying for that man, I didn't even try to name, after I d- identified it with him out by the air conditioner, when we came into the garage, I didn't even talk about that no more, because that's not what I was told to do. The Bible says, in the name of Jesus. And I just spoke. How many of you know the name of Jesus is powerful? I just spoke, that illness will go in Jesus' name, okay? And that's all I did, and began to speak Gail felt the presence of God hit her and next thing you know she's over there prophesying so, so it was just a, a, a wonderful moment so the kingdom of heaven is at hand Matthew 10 says heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead cast out devils and that, that hasn't changed that's what we're supposed to be doing then we talked a little bit about what is the scope of his healing power what is the scope, how large is it what should we expect God to be able to heal And we discovered and should know this uh, all things. Everybody say he can heal everything. He can heal your own ignorance. Okay, here's what I mean you can be a teenage boy, jump off a three story building, break, you know, mess something up, and God can still heal you. God will heal people that have been in accidents, God will heal. Uh, things that uh, infirmities of all different kinds things you're born with things that you've done with stupidity things that's happened by accident things that's happened by whatever anything every disease every problem God is able to heal amen he can heal anything so nothing is harder for God than anything else it's not like it takes his power takes his energy or drains him down or something it's not like that God is able to heal any and all things so One of the things that that I wanted to say to us is when you've been raised in the Bible Belt and when you've been around Pentecost and church all your life, if you're not careful, you begin to be an experience-driven person. So what I mean by that is is you become experience-driven. So in other words, you believe in what you've experienced. So all of a sudden now, God is limited to your experience. So if you've experienced somebody being healed of... I don't know, deafness, then you, you're to that level. But if, if, if you've never healed somebody being healed of, of mental retardation, then, then you will limit God because you haven't experienced it. So what I'm saying to you, you've got to be careful when it comes to healing, and you've got to take the limit off because God's not going to be limited to your experiences. He's not going to be limited to your experiences. Just because you've never seen it or can't even comprehend it doesn't mean God can't do it. Is that right? god can do all things i i you know i i was thinking today of things that are beyond my imagination honestly and, and yet i know that god is able and so i I'm, I'm trying to take the limit off of my experiences and not limit god to what i've seen him do or what i believe what i need to do is let my experience rise to the level of god not god shrink to the level of my experience does that make sense you got to be careful because you'll look at something and, and your faith level won't be high enough. Somebody will come up with a, I don't know, a crippled hip or something. There's no hip bone there and they'll want you to pray and you'll just think, my faith isn't great enough. Yet if somebody came up with a cold, you would have prayed. So you're, what you're doing is you're limiting God to your experience, to your level. And you don't want to ever do that. You want to, you want to be able to, with strength and boldness, understand God can heal any and all diseases. Amen? now that's easier said than done it honestly is because some things are more intimidating than others you walk into hospital rooms and if they're not all wired up it's not so intimidating but if they're on all the million machines then all of a sudden you just think oh my gosh and you'll back off because your experience hasn't risen to that level don't do that to God don't do that to God let God be God let God be God, not you. You're not God. Allow God to make the decisions. He's the one that's in charge, not you. You can't heal a sick fly as it is. Okay, so you have to understand that it's all about God and about what God wants to do. Now, the next thing where we're going to start off tonight a little bit is on, on three uh, bases for healing in the Bible, three, three foundational bases. And the first one is to just understand healing has always been. God healed in the Old Testament. Somebody say Amen. Exodus 34 talks about healing in the covenant. All through the Old Testament, God was touching and healing people. He extended lives of of Hezekiah, King Hezekiah and others. He extended their life, gave them time. God's able to heal. He was doing this even back under the law. Now we're under grace. Hebrews 8, 6 says we have a better covenant. Uh Uh-oh, I've got problems happening here. We have a better covenant based upon better promises, based upon a better sacrifice. And so we have even better than they had. And yet God healed then, touched then, blessed then, and He's still doing it today. Amen. Amen. So you, first of all, just understand, it has never been something that God hasn't done. He's done it since way back in time and all the way through. Now number two, healing is in the atonement. It is in the shedding of His blood. It is in the stripe that was laid upon his back. I I liked what Michael Brown, have you guys ever heard of a guy named Michael Brown? Okay, Michael Brown has a great teaching on healing, and and I was reading some of his stuff, and I was interested to find out that he teaches the word stripes, by his stripes we are healed. I've I've even preached the 39 stripes, the 39 major diseases, all that, but he, he argues the point that that is incorrect. That there was no stripes, that that's, that word was not actually used. The concept of 39 stripes is beautiful, it's wonderful, but he says that, that that's not correct, that that's not the right Hebrew word. He says that the word literally is by his wound. He says that his body was so beaten that he was just one big wound. And the actual Hebrew word there is not by his stripes, but by his wound. In, in other words, his body was so wounded, he was just a huge wound. And s- somebody say amen. And so it was, it was that, through that, that wound that God healed and God touched. And, 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 and so the, the next thing we understand need to understand is his blood was shed for all people everywhere. Sinners, <laughs> saints... Fat people, skinny people, good looking people, ugly people. <laughs> God's blood was shed for everybody, friend. It, it, it's not, it's not like he is, uh, has any kind of prejudice. He's not, I don't care if you think the person's the world's worst person, world's worst criminal, the most heinous, uh, sinful man or woman you've ever known. God will still heal them. Because God loves them. God cares. So healing is for all, for everybody. And it's it, it, his stripe. He was a wound for that. And the third thing, healing is in the kingdom. The Bible says in Mark 1.15, the kingdom of God is at hand. In Luke 17.21, it says the kingdom of God is within you. And then in, in Colossians 1.27, it says Christ in you, the hope of glory. How many of you have ever heard the terminology hope of glory? The word glory there actually is the same word as power. Hope of power. Christ in you because there's power. Okay? John 2.11 says, this is Jesus' first miracle, and it's the water turning into wine. It says, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested His glory. Same word, His power. What He did is He manifested His power. He showed His power. He revealed the miraculous. He revealed wonders. He revealed uh, uh, the, the touch of heaven on people's lives. And from that moment, he went out and started revealing his glory, his power. The kingdom of God was released into the earth. There was signs and wonders and healings. And so when we say the song, when we say glorify thy name, we're really saying demonstrate your power. And it got quiet in here. See, Sometimes we just use, uh, listen to me. We've been raised in church, and all those verbiage, that, all that stuff, it's just clichés to us. We really have never taken the time. We just say, glorify thy name and wait for a goose pump. But we really don't understand what we're saying. If you want to spend a little time in your word and look it up, you'll find out you're saying, demonstrate your power. Well, what's he going to use to demonstrate it through? Us. The kingdom of God is in us. And so if the church will then begin to press in... How do you press in? You have an altar call and you see if people are sick and you pray for them. Okay, you, you, you call for people that might need the Holy Spirit, whatever it might be. You press in, you start to push in, and you because you know that God is faithful to his word. You know that that's the nature of God, the design of God. And so we say, God, manifest or demonstrate your power. Let your glory, your power fill this room. Show yourself, you're the God that said, we would always know that it's Christ when the anointing comes and people are healed. That's It's a sign. It's a wonder. It makes people know this is the place where God is speaking. This is the place. And I can trust the words that are being said here. And so there's something powerful that happens. And so my challenge to us as a people and as this church is that every service we should expect somebody to be healed. Every service we should expect. Now, maybe if we all are 100% healed, then we're going to have to bring some sick folks in. Okay, but we have to, right now we could just start with us. But but, but we need to expect somebody to be healed. In fact, the truth is, if we're really doing kingdom, we should be shocked when healing doesn't occur. Amen. What we've done is we've come in and we've learned songs. The truth is, if we unplugged, if the power stayed out tonight during the worship service, we wouldn't have been able to worship. It's it's sad. We don't know the words. We don't even know what we're singing. We don't understand why we're singing it because we've never taken the time. And so that's what I'm doing tonight. I want you to understand when we say glorify thy name, we're saying demonstrate your power. And when we say demonstrate your power, what we're saying is use me. Use me, let me be, rise up, let the kingdom come through me, let Christ come through me, let the anointing come through me. So while you're sitting there and you look down your own, there's somebody that's sick over there, you put your hand on them. And you say, in Jesus' name, I release healing into this body. And you might be surprised if they come up dancing. In fact, is you ought to be surprised if they don't. Amen. So that's the environment that God is looking for. I'm telling you, God's tired of dead, dry church. He's tired of it. He, I mean, I believe he's bored. I believe most of the time he's outside with people smoking cigarettes. I'm not saying he's smoking. I'm just saying he's hanging out out there. More happening out there. It, it, I'm telling you, churches are a boring place. When, when I traveled and was preaching every, every night, I preached 400 and some times. There's only 365 days. I preached over 400 times in the year. I did a lot of preaching, was in a lot of churches, and I saw a lot. It was like being in funeral homes. It was just death and warmed over and same old songs, same old wore out, same old stuff. I mean, I, I thank God for the people that were inspired, but after a while, it gets old. Amen. Amen. But I tell you what, we can sing an old song that's wore out, but if somebody gets a miracle, it'll change the atmosphere. If something bonafide happens, something real happens, and the people of that church recognize it's real, there's something powerful that happens, and we ought to expect that in every service. Is that all right? We ought to expect God to use us. We are the instruments that God uses. Now, I do want to, on the other side, because I want to be honest to this study, there's a scripture that I don't understand. I've, I've preached on it, I've taught on it, but I still really don't really... I know I'm just scratching this. I missed it. I haven't got it. And I just want to show it to you. 2 Timothy 4, verse 19. It says, Trophimus, I left Ameletus sick. Here's Paul. Now this is the great apostle who prayed on handkerchiefs and people got healed. Who did all kinds of marvelous, wonderful acts of God. But he could not see this man. This man did not get healed. This man stayed sick. I don't think the Apostle Paul understood why, or he would have told us why. And I'm not making excuses here. I'm not making excuses. I think this ought to be the exception, not the expected. Amen? If we're going to come into a church, and we're going to preach the gospel, we ought to expect that everybody get healed, not expect that we hope one or two do. Is that right? I'm telling you, I, I, I'm going I'm to confess something here. I did not believe in Benny Hinn. This is years ago. So I went to the Anaheim Convention Center. The place was packed out, and I couldn't get in. And I said, boy, this guy knows how to promote. And I had all my little scam, all my stuff. Now, I believed in healing, but I just was having a hard time with him throwing his coat and stuff. I, I really was. I was struggling with it. So as I'm driving away, I look up at the side of this huge a building, and there's a stairwell, and the little door up there opens, and it's my friend Eddie. And it, he sees me, come on up, come on up. He had a chair for me, so I snuck in through the backside. So now I'm sitting up in a wing, the wing, the, I mean, there was seats all the way around. I'm sitting in this section here, and there's the stage right down below me, and Benny's down there. And I'm watching, they're singing the songs, they're old songs, good songs. I'm not trying to sound negative here, good songs, but just old, just same old, same old. And so I'm sitting there and, and he's, he says, okay, you know, I, I can't, I'm not going to try to make his voice, but okay, you guys, and he points to our section. He says, the power of God, do you want it? And everybody in our section, of course, is all excited. Yes. Do you want it? Yes. And I'm saying, sure. Yeah. He says, when I take my coach, you're going to feel the power of God. And he goes like this. And when he did, I'm telling you something hit me in my chest and set me back in my chair. Everybody in that whole section, I, I stood back up, and I went right back down. I could not stand up. So now he's got my attention. I mean, I really, it, it shook me because I was not wanting to be fallen down. Okay, I, I was against the whole thing, but I had to admit, something really did happen. I could, that, this is my testimony. This really happened to me. You don't have to believe it happened to me. And so I'm sitting there, and now he's got my attention. And so he preached. I don't remember what he preached. It was very short. And he starts to pray. Well, when he prayed, they brought out probably 30 wheelchairs. And he starts praying for those people. And I'm telling you, they start coming out of those wheelchairs. They're coming out of the wheelchairs. Now, of course, the devil starts lying to you. It's a setup. It's a phony. All this kind of stuff. But So what I did is I went down closer. I got right down there in the wheelchair section. I know I wasn't supposed to be there. I know I'm not supposed to. But I was young and crazy back then. I was trying to, I wanted to know God. So I went all the way down there, and I'm right in the wheelchair, and look at these people. These people are atrophied. They ain't got the limbs. There's problems. These people are sick. Now, there's some that maybe were looked okay, but you could tell most of them were really in bad way. And I'm watching these people as they take them and wheel them up there, and God's hitting them, and they're, they're coming back without their wheelchairs walking. And I'm watching. So after the service is over, it was a marvelous service. It really was. I'm watching, and there's, they're wheeling these, the wheel, he told them, don't get back in your wheelchair. So they're wheeling their chairs, and they're walking behind them. They're praising God. They're weeping. God has touched them. They're been healed. And then there was about three or four that weren't healed. And as they was going by, as they was going by, I looked at them, and I thought, man, I wonder what it feels like to be the guy that didn't get healed. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. That should be the exception, not the rule. And, he, and, and, and something inside me jerked, because the truth is, if I'd have had 30 wheelchairs, I'd have been happy if one walked. Okay? And he was, he was upset, and the, uh, Benny was upset because there was three that didn't get it. And all of a sudden, I began to realize God's heart, what I'm, the story here is God's heart is everybody should be healed. God wants us healed. It should not be the exception when somebody gets healed. It should be the 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 what we expect when somebody gets healed. And so so I I know that that there's something that happened there with the Apostle Paul. Something happened with Tremophus. He he was not able to be healed. I don't know what all that's about. I don't know why everybody's not healed. I know it should they should be healed. On the other hand, I know that if I prayed for everybody that I prayed for got healed, I would have a hard time not getting a big head. Hey, I'm bad. I'm bad. Let me pray for you. You get healed when I pray for you. And and so, you know, a pride might would be coming in. I don't know, but I know one thing. It's not my anointing. It's his. And I can't take the glory for it. I can't step into that. I'm just an instrument. I'm a conduit. I'm a vessel for God to use, just like you are. What we want to be careful to do is make sure he gets the glory. He gets the worship. He gets the honor of it, okay? That's what you gotta be careful to do because if you're not careful, you'll start, you'll start, you'll you'll go one way or the other. Somebody comes up to get prayed for. You'll pray for them. Nothing happens. It's like praying for a two by four. For whatever reason, nothing happens and you go away feeling defeated. Like, I don't wanna do these healing services no more. I prayed for 15 people. Nobody got healed. I quit. I'm not doing it. It's not my gifting. It's not my anointing. I'm not anointed for that. The Bible says we're all anointed for that but you'll start making excuses and you'll get depressed if nothing happens see that's, what, that's one side, the other side if they all 15 get healed you'll be walking around like a peacock <laughs> you'll think I'm bad, I'm bad, you know I'm bad shoot, I was fasting and the Holy Ghost came on me on fire you know what I'm saying so you can't go one way or the other you've got to make sure it's about him not about you and I think sometimes it gets to be about us and about the person down there. It's about them when really the story's about God. Is that right, church? Amen. And now, I've shared this story just once before, but I'm going to share it again tonight because I'm sure not everybody was there. This happened in, in, a, in a large church, and there was, a oh, a few thousand people there. And this young girl was brought up, and back, this is a... Oh, 30 so years ago. Back then, they didn't have hearing aids that were nice tucked in. They were kind of big old things hung on the back of your head. She had one on one ear, and the other ear, there was nothing. So they brought brought her up there, come to find out she has absolutely no bones in the ear, no workings on the inside where there was no hearing aid. And on the other side, she only had about, well, she was about 97% deaf, And so they could turn that thing way up, and she could hear certain vibrations, certain things, and... And they just, was, they just put it on her and they was believing God for her. So it was a supernatural explosion weekend. That's what we had titled it. And we had been down at the beach and we had had over 6,000 people down there. And we would pulled them into the church for that weekend and the power of God was moving. And, and so that, that girl was brought up. And when she came up, the presence of the Lord, you could feel him demonstrate his power. When you prayed for that girl, immediately, everybody in that room saw the countenance change. Everybody saw what happened, and she was dramatically healed. Now, here's the crazy part. She could hear out of the ear with no bones as good as she could hear out of the ear with bones. I know. I don't understand all that. I can't explain all that to you. All I can tell you, we plugged the good ear, and she could hear out of the bad ear. The ear with no workings. She could hear. And I'm telling you, she could hear long distances. It was amazing. Because that ear had no auditory, uh, uh, auditory nerves or nothing else in there. There wasn't even a hole for a, the canal. And yet somehow, and it wasn't like you could plug one ear and still hear, she was, she was hearing. Okay, so it was amazing. Anyway, and, and so we was glad. We was excited. I mean, it was a celebratory service. People were excited. Many, many healings, but especially that one because I'd never seen anybody could hear when there was no earring there. I mean, it was just, it was so supernatural. And it was creative. See, it took me beyond my expectations. It took me beyond my experience. See, we all think that you have to have the works to make it work, but God doesn't need the works to make it work. I know that's weird. I'm going to I'm going to bring a guy I'm going to I'm going to bring a guy here and, and, and share a testimony with you. This guy can take his eyeball out, it's a it's a glass eye, and set it over there and walk out and read your driver's license with that glass eye. Absolute true story. Jack Harris will tell you. Freak you out, man. I I don't I know I'm messing with you, but I've seen this stuff. It was just unbelievable. So anyway, this was one of those miracles to me. I mean, she had no ear. And so we're in the office after church. Here's the story. We're in the office, and we're talking about it. I mean, it was, I'm blown away. I'm really blown away. It's like the glass eye thing. I'm just blown away. It just doesn't, it's not computing in the peanut brain up here. I'm like that chipmunk. (laughs) And so, all of a sudden, the door, somebody knocks on the door, and it's, the, the church is over, and it's the father. Now, the father of the girl is a pastor. He's a pastor. I know him. And he says, I'm very frustrated my daughter cannot hear you guys remember him telling this story I, I haven't told it here I, she can't hear again I said she can't hear well we tested her in front of everybody he said I know he said but I'm telling you she's just stone deaf and she, he's got that hearing thing back on her ear I said well first of all take that off and don't put it back on let's pray again so we prayed for her and immediately you could see her Whoa! She, she could hear, she got all excited got all thrilled as she could hear I said wow that's awesome man I'm, wow what's God doing So we all kind of hugged and loved on one another. Just for a few moments, it was getting late. The church service had gone to almost midnight. And so out they go, down the hallway. We're sitting there, and me and a few other pastors are sitting there going, wow, I'm telling you, this is too much. A few seconds later, they knock on the door again. Now it's him again. And he says, we got to the car, she can't hear no more. Now he's frustrated. Now it's like he's challenging me, the pastor. She can't hear no more. I said, well, bring her back in here. Let's let's see what let's pray again. And when she walks through, before I can even pray, she can hear again. Suddenly she's just hearing. And it hit me. This spirit, this deaf spirit that's in this girl, for whatever reason it's there, is reacting. And I know this sounds prideful, but it was reacting to me for some reason. I said, This thing is reacting to me. At the moment I didn't take it prideful. Today, when I tell the story, I do. (laughs) <laughs> but at that day, I really wasn't. I was just stunned. I, I'm, real, I'm really trying to figure it out. And so so she's back there, and I, and I realized she, she's responding to me. And I said to the dad, I said, listen to me. What I want you to do is I want you to pray for your daughter. You have legal right. You are her father. She's still only 7 or 8 or 9. I see somewhere in that age. She's still in, under your, your home. Your, you're her legal Spiritual authority. And I believe if you will pray for her, that God will heal her, and that will remain because you have legal right for that to happen. Does that make sense to everybody? I don't have legal right over another man's child. Not even spiritually. But that parent, the parents have that right. And so, so I asked him to do And suddenly, this pastor looked at me and refused. And I said, look. It's, I said, listen. It's not about... I, he refused because he was afraid. He didn't think it would work. And I said, listen to me. It will work, pray, God's healing her. You've seen the miracle. God will do this again. And now he's so defensive, he starts to cuss me. He curses me. Now today, I'm not proud about this, but he's no longer in ministry, and the girl is still deaf. Okay, and I know this family. This family's from from San Diego. They're still there. And it's a sad story because honestly, if dad would have rose up and believed what I'm teaching you tonight, dad's daughter could be healed today. I don't know how long it would have taken her to grow in, to have enough dominion, to maintain her healing. But I know that sometimes we get a healing and we lose it because we don't walk in authority and dominion with God. Is that right? So there's something spiritual that, that's not all things are infirmity. Some things are spiritual. They're, they're curses that pass through family lineages. I can't explain all that. Don't want to even try. I just know that the Bible says it can go down sometimes to ten generations if it's a bastard child. And so uh, it usually goes three and four generations. So that means it's something that happened with my great, 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 great granddad, who I don't even know. And so something back there, maybe he cut a packed with a witch. Who knows what's going on back there? But, but now it's affecting in the children. It's affecting in the lineage. And, and it'll take an authority to drive that out. And I didn't have the authority once she was out of my, my church. Once they stepped out of the building where I was at, I did have right as the pastor in that place. But I didn't have right outside. You hear what I'm saying? It's just like the pigs. They didn't want to leave the gathering. They didn't want to go out of that area because, because they had an authority there. And that's why he sent them out. So, so it's very important that we understand every, every area, every city, every locale, every region is home to certain principalities, certain powers, and certain spiritual rulers. We just did an exercise in our staff meeting yesterday, and we listed um, what was it, eight or nine uh, in a pie chart what we feel are the actual spirits that dominate this region. And then we, we're, we're making strategy plans how to attack those and infiltrate those areas. Amen. You, see, it's it's one thing if you don't ever do that. Then if your church closes its doors, nobody will miss you right you've made no real impact but you start changing the the culture and the atmosphere of a region when you drive out the spirits of it and then all of a sudden you're not there they'll know you're not there so there's something that needs to happen in that arena and and there are spirits that work to keep people in bondage and i'm just telling you that something about that little girl that spirit had a right to be there i don't understand i don't even know how that was The father never gave us a chance to talk or figure that out or work with him in that. He just became upset because he felt intimidated. And instead of becoming prideful, he went the other way and became very defensive. So here's the thing. You're going to have to pray for people until you can rise in a space of authority. Not your authority, his authority. Where you can actually speak on his behalf, realizing that the healing is not about you getting them healed or even them getting healed. It's about them coming into contact with a loving God. That's what it's about. God is trying to say to them, you matter to me. I love you. I care. I saw your infirmity and I healed you. It's not about the infirmity. It's about God's love to the person. So if you're not careful, you get in the middle of it and get prideful and all these things. And That's what these evil spirits want to do. You're going to have to learn to pray for people. They are and they aren't going to get healed. As you get better at it, just like anything else, as you get more and more in tune with what god is doing when you spend more time and you realize god is just taking this person and connecting them to him and you get yourself out of it and you connect god to that person and you start to learn to do that better the more you do that pretty soon you're going to start to see it and you're going to we should that should be the rule that they get healed not that they don't get healed am i all right you guys listening tonight it's a real challenge because we have egos we have pride and we also get discouraged real easy most churches will not put themselves on the line for a miracle because if it doesn't happen, you look what? Dumb. And they're so worried about how they look, the person never gets healed. we got to quit worrying about how we look. we got to keep, keep what we need to concern ourselves with is how does he look. Amen. We have to give him a place to operate. The Lord wants to move in his church. He wants to move in his people. The kingdom of God is in you. He wants to move through you and in you, and we've got to give him that right. Now, usually I have a, a clock on that back wall, so if I go long, somebody wave me down. Okay? So, so every region, let's let's shift gears a little bit. Every region, when you go into it and you're going to minister healing, like we're, we're going to go to Africa, the spiritual arena in Africa is completely different than the spiritual arena in Beckley. When we get there, there's going to be, there's going to be spirits there working to hold those people that are in its reign or in its region in bondage. We are intruding that avi- environment. Our job is then to make Jesus famous in that environment. Okay, ours, and not to make us famous. We need to, we need to decrease so that he can increase. That's what John the Baptist had to understand okay it's not about us it's about god it's about his people it's about showing them and so that enemy if we are good at that if we are able to position ourselves that that brings fear to the devil because usually he can beat you in your own pride or he can beat you in your own discouragement but if you're not going to play that game now he's got another problem if you start introducing the love of the father into a house those those spirits are in trouble amen amen and so that's your job you, you've got to understand that those things are happening so, so, so let me give you some example probably the two strongest spirits that war against what we're talking about here healing and a revival hub type of ministry uh, is probably Jezebel and religion those are probably the two strongest now there's, there's several others there's many others but I, I, so, so what God I bless you in Jesus name what God will do is he will then, when he, when there's a religious spirit in an area or there's a Jezebel spirit in an area, God will usually, again, I'm not putting him in a box, but I've noticed throughout Scripture, throughout his word, and throughout the little experience I've had, especially in his word, though, he will raise up strategic voices or mantles, people with an anointing, for specific areas, and he'll send them in. Those people then, their job is not to go in and and establish themselves, their job is to go in and establish truth. That's their job. We're going in to establish truth, we're going in to establish blessing, we're going in to establish that the Father is good, He loves you, and His mercy endures forever. We're going in to establish that. So now there's a, when we go in with that spirit on us, suddenly God can anoint that. If we go in all about us and, moi, and we're going to do it our way and we're going to teach you, we're going to show you idiots how to do it the right way. That's what, listen, that's what we've done all over the world. We've gone into places and, and we've made them into Western Christians. It's horrible. I told you, I went into uh, I was uh, uh, um, Mozambique. And, and when I went into that country, I was one of the first white people there for 80 years after the Monrovians were there. The Monrovian missionaries had been there before me. And then the Civil War broke out and they'd left. All, all white people had gone. When I got there, everybody was dressed from the waist up, but nothing from the waist down. Because I don't know what was going on. I know this sounds a little crude, but maybe those missionaries just didn't, were embarrassed of women's breast. So the first thing they did is covered their breast. They were teaching them to get dressed. Because they were teaching them Western theology you're not following, are you? In other words, this is the way we do church. You have to do it this way if you want to be holy. We placed holiness on something that it never was even a part of what they were doing. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I went to Nakuru, and, and this is one of my favorite stories of all time. And, and there was a beautiful, tall, wonderful man. His name was Wilson, of all things. And Wilson comes and gives his heart to the Lord that night and 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 it's beautiful come to find out he's a a king of a tribe he's, he's messiah and he's very powerful he has a, a large tribe very powerful man here he has giving his heart to the lord and i'm not sure sure about his wife he went back to his seat next thing i know here comes a, a beautiful woman and some some young men and, and a young girl and they all get saved now i don't know if he told them they had to or what but they all give their hearts to the lord And so afterwards, he introduces me to his wife and his his eight children. I said, wow, Wilson, what a beautiful family. What a beautiful family. Well, the next night, he comes in with a whole bunch more. And the next night, a whole bunch more. Long story short, by the end of a few nights, he had introduced me to all eight of his wives. And 64 of his children. Now, Western theology says you got to pick one. Which wife do I tell him to pick? Because the other seven are going to get put out in the streets... Their children are not going to be fed, not going to have anything. They're going to be destitute. Those women will have no way of making a living. Which one do I tell him to pick? Which one would you think God would want me to tell him? The first one. So See, see, there we go. We're We're going to put on our stuff on somebody rather than just the love of the Father. So I just grabbed them all. I said, group hug. I can't sort that out. I'm not even called to sort that out. I'm called to let them know about Jesus. Right? I come back a few years later, and Wilson's still in the church, and the church is now about 5,000 people. Wilson's a happy man. He's in the church, and he's going to teach a men's lesson that day. I said, wow, Wilson, what are you going to teach on? I'm going to tell the men they can have two wives. That's what he's going to teach. I said, well, why are you teaching this? He goes, because the wives fight. He says it's very difficult when you have more than two wives. If he's very wealthy, he can have three. That's what he told me. But listen to his heart. It wasn't about the wives. It was about the health of the family. He was concerned that the families of the tribe were being healthy, that they were developing. His heart was different. How many of you know his heart was more pure than mine? Mine wants to put my theology on him, what I think is right, the way I interpret things, and yet yet God was beautifully moving, and, and now there's... A, Three or 4,000 people in this place because of this man, because he's reaching out and sharing the love of God to their lives. Which do you think is more important? I See, it messes with your theology, doesn't it? And yet God loved all, How many of you know God loved every one of them? How many of you know God started healing them and touching them and ministering to them and touching their lives? So, So this is what I'm trying to show you. You've got to be careful that when you go into an area, you don't start putting your religion... And getting so mad at them because they don't do it your way that your Jezebel comes out. Because you're going to control them. bless God. This is the way you do it. If you're going to really serve Jesus, this is what you've got to do. You've got to sing three songs, two slow songs, and take an offering. <laughs> it's a way it's done, and everybody knows it. <laughs> right? Something weird gets inside of us. And so I want you to think about it. It, what do you think if you was the devil, and there was a church that had year after year? There's a believer, a good person, a good man, good woman sitting in that church, believing God, and year after year, they never do pray for anybody. I could talk about my own family; they're all good people. They've all loved God, but I bet they haven't led three people to the Lord in their entire lives. I bet they haven't prayed for two people for healing, and where they put their hand on them and said, "I with faith say I believe." They just, "Oh God, please, if it's your will, that's what they'll pray." If it's your will. It's, of course it's his will. But the, we'll pray this weak little wimpy prayers. And, and this is my own family. I love my family. But what kind of a threat do you think that is to the devil? The devil loves those kind of churches. Amen. That's that's not the kind. We want a revival center. We want a revival hub where the devil's afraid you might actually put your hand on somebody's head out in the foyer, in the hallway, in the bathroom, and in Jesus' name, somebody get touched. It might freak them out to get people filled feel the Holy Spirit before they even get in the doors. Somebody say amen. So the devil fights that proclamation of truth. He fights against the, the flow. He fights against the power and the anointing. And, and, and Jezebel wants to silence the vo- voices. You don't have a right to speak here. You, don't have, you can't say nothing. And, and that, that spirit wants to run everybody out of the territory that would maybe have a voice that would speak. So what did Jezebel, see, see, what did Elijah have to do? He had to cut the heads off of all of her, her prophets. He's stopping the voice because her voice was going everywhere and shutting down the voice of God in the community. Are you There's. I bless you in Jesus' name. you got to understand what's happening, folks. We, 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 we have just been silenced, and, and there's certain people that have a voice. And so the, these, these spirits have to be confronted. And the, 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 the spirits have a, a territory, and they hold it. Let me, let, let me give you some cities to help you understand what I'm talking about. How many of you know Las Vegas has a different spirit than Beckley? What spirit do you think dominates in Las Vegas? Gambling? Lust? Okay, Then dominant spirits. How about San Francisco? You think San Francisco is anything like Las Vegas? Could you tell the difference between San Francisco and Beckley? Maybe you've never been to San Francisco. Now, I can take you to different cities, and, and they all have a spirit on them. The first time I ever went to New York City, they took me down there, and they, we was going to do street preaching, and the guy said, Oh, I forgot something. I'll, I'll be right back. Left me on the corner. I'm standing in New York City, and I mean, fear gripped me. I said, This city's got a spirit of fear in it. You know, intimidation. It intimidates you. So I had to rise up. So every city has a spirit. Now, those influences are there, and they impact the way the people of that city think. Okay? So if you talk to people in Las Vegas about certain things, they don't see it one way. Like, like you go to Amsterdam, and you can sit in the bars, and you can order hash and marijuana and anything, right? And smoke it right there in the bar. They have no problem. You can walk down the red light district. You're not supposed to be doing that. But you can walk down the red light district, and there's big windows on both sides, and you can look, and the windows are pulled, or they're, they're open or they're closed. And if you look in there, there's women in there naked and you, if you like her then you can go in they'll close the window shield and you can be in there with her did you know that 95% of those women are married those are housewives they, see you later honey I'm going to work, have a great day <laughs> I mean your brain doesn't even commute like what? I'll kill you and him too <laughs> you know we down at Ron's shop getting certain instruments to help our day out <laughs> <laughs> A machine gun preacher for real <laughs> you know, but in that, that culture, see the minds of the people are so affected by it that it 's just normal. it's just normal. Now, you and I just can't believe it. now they can't believe that we go to cookout. <laughs> Amen. Sitting in, I told you I was sitting in Europe, sitting across from an old woman. Assembly of God folks, good folks. Whole table full of them. Took me out to eat. Beautiful meal. Sitting there and the ladies got the, All the children have a stein of beer or wine. And they're all drinking wine and beer. Assembly of God group. And, and there they are. And she looked at me. She said, I have a serious question to ask you. I said, yes, what is it? She goes, I hear American Christians drink coffee. My God, don't they realize that's a sin? And she's drinking her wine. I'm thinking, man, God's in heaven going, who do I choose? Coffee or wine? Coffee or wine? <laughs> so the spirits are taking control of certain areas and what they're doing is they're, they're, they're mantling people with all kinds of stuff to where they can't find truth. They can't find truth. They don't feel the love of a father. They feel the rules of a religion. Okay, that's what they're feeling. They're not feeling the love of the Father. So, so what the apostolic gift and, and, and what we're supposed to do is, is go into an area and confront those powers, confront that territory, and it usually has fallout. It means that things don't look good in the beginning. It looks like you're losing. But the truth is you've got to win that battle or you'll never win any others. That battle is the most important battle of all. Because otherwise the churches are so divided, you got half the people doing this, half the people doing that. There's no unity and no strength in the house. So somewhere, something's got to give. Is that right? So, so that's what happens. And so when we step into an area that there's not been a church or it's a weak church, you realize that you're going to bring confrontation. I bless you in Jesus' name. You want to bring that confrontation with love. It's not about you, it's not about winning the fight, it's about making Jesus famous. If his presence shows up, the fight's won. All he has to do is walk on the scene and any demon there is going. Okay, so your job is to establish a truth, to establish this thing, to light a fire, to make the light of Christ manifest there, to let the people of that place see there and to declare the truth of who he is. He is a good, good father. And his mercy endures forever. He loves those people in Amsterdam just like he loves you. Oh, yes, he does. He loves people in Africa, in Australia, and even in Hellville, Madagascar. He loves them. Amen. God cares about them. I was in Madagascar watching them hold—they go down in the, in the graves. They'd take, they're dead. They wrap them in, in, in blankets. not all of them, but there's a group of people that they wrap them, their bodies. And, and so year after year, well, after a few years, when you bring grandma up out of the hole, every year they go get them. They bring them out. They unroll it. It's just a wad of rotting meat. All kinds of lice and termites and whatever all those bugs are. They shake them off of her, they wrap her in a new blanket, and then they march her all over town with bands and praise. Look, look at our new house, look at what's going on. And they, they march the dead all over the streets. Did you know God loves those people as much as he loves you? Amen. Most churches march the dead right in on a Sunday morning. <laughs> it's the same thing. It rots and stinks just as bad. Amen. I mean, you know, it's so easy to look at them like they're messed up and we're just as messed up as they are. It's just a different way of dressing up the dead. Just singing different songs. They have a band. We have a band. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying we got to understand. This is making sense to folks. There really is a spiritual dynamic. So when you step in, you're going to fight religion, you're going to fight Jezebel, you're going to fight control, all of those things. The fight is not that. The fight is to bring truth to that. To bring Jesus to that place. If you're not careful, all you'll do is, is be kicking rocks and fighting devils and seeing who's the strongest and baddest. And, and you'll, it's just like little gangsters fighting all over town. Well, that's not the answer. The answer is to get something higher and establish new rule in a territory. Right? And so you, got to, you, get, you can't get caught up in all those silly skirmishes. You've got to deal with it, but you've got to have a stronger anointing. So, so we have to, the Bible says in Ephesians 6, I won't read the whole thing to you, but you know the story. We're supposed to put on our armor. Is that right? Put on the breastplate. Put on the, put on the armor. Put all that stuff on because we're going to have to walk into what God is doing. So let me say this. Let me say this. There's an emerging move of God. I believe that's happening. That's really, really does have part of the mantle of David set upon it, and it's it really is going to require worship. Worship is not necessarily singing songs. It's not a worship team. A worship is something that comes up out of your spirit. It's something where where you you have an understanding of the love of your father, where something is coming out of you and and. There's an anointing that comes on you that gives the words that you're saying meaning. Is that right? Demonstrate your power. You're a God of mercy, of love. You have been good to me when I should have been in hell. I wasn't. The word mercy means something to you now because you should have been down and God paid the price for you. And so you sing the songs and the words are real and, 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 and all of a sudden as they become real, they become arrows of deliverance. They become powerful. They become truth. They start to release a vision inside of you, a heart inside of you, a yoke-destroying power. Are you following? So if, I, if I'm just in here singing a song, uh, There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. Of the, look, Ron ain't clapping. Ron ain't clapping. I'm not really worshiping, right? Now, I could be singing that song, same song, and be in the presence of the Lord. I'm not mocking the song. I'm mocking me. It's how I'm connecting. It's how I'm moving into it. So the religious spirit of a house and all the dead people in the house will stop me from connecting. If I get past that, the devil gets nervous. And so now the devil will come against me with religious voices, false fire, and controlling powers. That's the three attacks that he's going to come against you with. Number one, religious voice. Religious voices will come and say, wait a minute here. That's not how we do stuff around here. That's not who we are. We've been this way since 1886. You know, and we'll, they, they'll go back for their tradition. They'll go back for comfort. They do not really want the fruit of a new move of God. They would rather remain in the old. And so that voice will begin to rise. That voice will begin to rise. We have been doing this for 15 years here. We have touched a million people. You know, whatever. Th- those, those voices will start to rise. They'll start to come out. They're religious voices fighting for their territory. Amen. The truth is, if the horse is dead, dismount. Amen. There are things that change in churches. If you're still singing the same old songs, it, something needs to come alive. I was with a guy the other day. He told me, he says, I, I had to fill in for my, my pastor. I said, really? He said, I preached for three months. I said, wow, did you enjoy it? He goes, you know, we only preach five sermons. He says, it's the same five sermons. We just change them around. It's only five things. I said, five things? He said, that's our, that's our tradition. That's what we do. We have five things we preach on, and those are the only five things we preach on, and we just change the way we preach them. How many of you know that gets old? <laughs> I mean, I mean, about 300... 300 times we're hearing the same thing over and over. It gets old. I don't care which way you handle it. Right? I mean, there's only a certain amount of ways you can say that. And so that gets old. It, we have to learn that it's a, it's a growing, that God is creative. God is always fresh. God is moving. And so, so these voices, though, they want to kill that creativity. And when you kill the creativity, what have you killed? The supernatural. Because you've made God then have to come down to your experience. Instead of you rising to who God is, God has to come to your experience level. This is the way we've done it. This is what works. We've already tried that. This is the way. And so now we're all stuck at a level. When you get stuck long enough, what happens? Huh? Okay, if you've you got a rock and you take a drip of water and you start dripping, how many of you know pretty soon that rock will give way to that drip of water? It will penetrate the rock. That is the word devil, diablo, penetrator. He penetrates. So if you stay put long enough, he'll penetrate you. He'll just keep, year after year, he'll just keep coming until he finally penetrates you. That's why you were called to be lively stones. Can't get a drip on me, baby. <laughs> I'm just trying to help you. And so you gotta be able to, you got to be able to shift. you got to be able to move or else the devil's going to penetrate. He's going he's to come in. He's going to hit you. And so religious voices want to stabilize, hold, make it comfortable. We don't want anything weird to happen. We'll lose people. And so they lock it down and pretty soon you're penetrated. Are you guys all right? What time is it? I don't know what time it is. Woo, we're out of time. We was just getting to the good one too. Let me read the scripture Woe to you I always hate those words Woe to you Woe to you scribes and Pharisees Hypocrites For your all whitewashed tombs Which indeed appear beautiful outwardly But inside you're full of dead men's bones And all kinds of uncleanness That's what he says about people That want to have tradition That want to lock it down You're a bunch of old dead bones I just preached about those guys a few minutes ago <laughs> Amen Is that right? You got to be careful. Now the next one, next week, will—I don't don't know. Let me just say, will you give me five minutes? I know I I don't want anybody in the nursery to get mad at me. False fire, false fire is the next thing that will come against you. Uh, It's an attempt to pollute the purity of the move of God. Okay. So this spirit, what it does is it comes in and it tries to bring wrong spiritual attention or influence. So false fire wants to take the authority of the house and move it for its own influence. Let me read you the scripture, Leviticus 10. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense in it, and offered profane fire. It wasn't real fire. It was profane. It was wrong. They were doing it for a show before the Lord, which had not, he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. Boy, that's a church service. And they died before the Lord, crispy critters. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. I must be allowed to demonstrate my power. That's what the word glorified means. I'm going to demonstrate my power. So Aaron said, nothing. He shut up. He held his piece up. See what happened to Adab? (laughs) I ain't saying nothing. (laughs) How many of you know Aaron's wise, wise, wise? Profane spirits will come in, and what they're doing is they want to, like I said, if I'm not careful, I'm talking. I'm being human here, I'm being real, I pray for 15 people with diverse, horrible diseases, and they all get healed, I'm going to all of a sudden start to take the, whoo, I'm bad, you know, I'm bad. And all of a sudden, now I'm going to start having profane fire. I'm going to start drawing attention to me instead of attention to him. It's okay to bring the attention to me, but as it comes to me, I keep going that way. I bring it around, and I go that way. Following? If not, I'll start having profane fire, and next thing you know, Brother Ray will be crispy. Controlling powers. Now, that's the third one. Jezebel's a seducing spirit that tries to lead God's men into immorality and into all these type of things. So it's a witchcraft, religious spirit that wants to control an area to cut off revival. Now, the key to victory in all of this is sticking to the vision of transformation. Transformation. God wants to partner with you in transformation. He wants you to to bring his presence, demonstrate his power. You're the steward. You're the manager of that. You have have the right to manage the freedom, the power that God gives you, and to bring the healing, to bring the deliverance, to to raise the dead. He wants you to manage that and, 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 and conduct that, but always remembering that it's not yours, it's his. It's His glory. And so so you're a radical agent. He wants to partner with you in that. And it's not just so you look cool or the church looks cool. It's so God looks cool. We're partnering in transformation. Are you guys all right? I'm almost done. When you start doing that, then that Jezebel spirit comes, and here comes a Saul spirit. Now let me explain that to you real quick. During his reign, Saul, when he first was anointed to be king, was very meek, very passionate, He was a lover of God. But as that old spirit started to come on him, that controlling spirit started to come on him, that Jezebel spirit started to get him, that religious spirit started to get him, false voices were coming, profane fire was coming. He turned into, by the end of his life, a domineering, oppressive ruler who actively fought against anything that God might be doing that he wasn't involved in. He went to the Witch of Ondor... He was going to play God. He was going to do it his way. And so, so David comes along, and David's exactly the opposite of Saul because David just keeps giving back the identity to God. He just keeps throwing it back to God. Instead of taking it on himself, he he, he understood who he was and who his God was. And every time when he fought the giant and anything he did, he kept giving glory back to God. So So at first when Saul met him, Saul welcomed him. But by the end, all Saul could think about was killing him. Because the spirit in Saul had changed so much. That's all in 1 Samuel 18. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. Verses 5 through 12. So, so the bottom line is, and I'm, I'm wrapping it up right now, Saul was tormented by an inner turmoil, and it really come out of his insecurity. He had a raging insecurity. He could not handle it if he didn't look good in front of the people. If I pray for somebody and they don't get healed, I'll look stupid. That's a Saul spirit. He can't handle it. David said, if I pray for them and I look, they don't get healed, I'm still David. It's up to God to heal them anyway, right? David had a, a he wasn't insecure with God. He knew what God could do. He, he, he understood that if, if, if God doesn't fight the battle, we're going to lose it anyway. Saul, it was all about how he looked, how he controlled, how he wanted to do. So in revivals, the spirit of the, the devil will come in and try to make us want to look a certain way and conduct a certain way. And we'll get a Saul spirit if we're not careful. What we need to do is be very, very cautious that everything we do points people to Jesus. Points to the love of God. Points to the grace of God. Only Davids can usher in a new move of God. A David spirit. Amen? Okay, so, so I know I'm, I'm bouncing around a little bit. But when you start to pray for people, these demonic things start to come. Especially when you're in the Bible belt. I'm not, I'm not being ugly to you. I'm being ugly to your great-great-grandma. No, no, no. We've been trained that way. We've been raised that way. It's just the way we think. Amen. We we're caught up in certain things. I was uh, I'm just going to say it. I was shocked because I was asking a, a group of 100 young men who are atheists just converted to Christ or coming out of Mormonism just converted to Christ within the last year, asking them questions about worship. Cuz I I want to understand worship. And and they, their first comment is that that if we unplugged the, 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 the performance, we couldn't sing without it. That there's nothing real in our worship. There's nothing authentic in our worship. We're phonies. And, and they say they notice that. That's what they look for in churches. That, that we're not real. We, we're, we're, in, we're not authentic. We're not, we're not coming from the culture. So these young kids are looking for authentic. And so is God. He doesn't want us to be phonies no more. He doesn't want us to hype it. He wants us to be real and he wants to feel he wants to show his love to the people, not our great performance. It's not about our performance. It's about his presence. Right? It doesn't matter what songs we sing. It's about his presence. Are you guys catching this today? So, so as, I'm in, as I'm in the presence and I come down and I'm starting to pray for people, these spirits come and they want, they want to move me out of that presence. They want to make me feel bad or feel great or something, anything other than what I'm supposed to be doing, representing Jesus. Amen. Amen. So when you come to pray for people, you're a representative. All you're doing is a me- you're a messenger. You're just carrying the anointing, the power of God for him. That's all. He's the one that does the healing. Does that make sense to everybody? I want you to stand real quickly. We, I've, I've overdone my, my welcome. That's your tradition? <laughs> That's our tradition. Amen. Yeah, they took the clock away from me tonight. That's awesome. Why don't you uh, join hands real quick? Let's join hands. Again, the, the reason, why are we joining hands? We want to we have unity. We want to connect. We want to have a a, a presence amongst us. We want to feel His glory. We want to demonstrate His power. So right now, I'm just telling you that somebody in the row that you're standing on has a real need. I mean a real need. Somebody in a family, somebody financial, a business need, something that needs to have a turn, a shift. Somebody in the row that you're standing in has a real need. I want you just to take a moment right now, and I want you to say, Lord demonstrate your power to them use me if possible use me Lord use me to demonstrate your power if you would so desire then start looking for those opportunities start paying attention to them John G. Lake went down to Spokane Hospital and just went room to room and brought everybody out of there healed Father in the name of Jesus We release your glory, the demonstration of your power into this church. That every service, Lord, we ask, healings would happen. The supernatural would come. That this would be an arena for you, Lord, to demonstrate your love, your grace, your power, your Holy Spirit, your Son. Father, let the Son walk up and down the aisles. Let the Holy Spirit permeate every heart, every mind, every soul to divide apart and take away that flesh thought take away those things and bring spirit in Jesus name let this be an environment of your presence Lord let us be a people that are conduits of the supernatural let us be a revival hub let us let us rise in war against religious voices profane fire controlling spirits But let us also be very humble and walk, managing well the freedoms that you've given us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. What I want you to do is I want you to learn that when God touches you, big or small, tell somebody about it. Yeah. Confess that. Share that. Tell somebody. I had a, I don't remember how old she was, I think she was the 85, she was at least 85, her name was Betty, Betty Starr. She walked up to the platform after we'd had a healing service and she was mad. She was mad. She says, God healed my tooth, and I wanted my ear healed. (laughs) I'll never forget her. I said, he healed your tooth. She opened her mouth. I'm telling you, we took pictures of it. I had a friend that was an unbeliever. I'd never seen anything like it. That tooth in the back of her head was like translucent gold. I've never seen anything like it. It wasn't solid gold. It was like you could see through it, like like an amber stone. And she said it was rotted out was completely gone it was full of pain but she said she she wanted that ear healed not the tooth and that tooth was just shining we took pictures of everybody in the church freaked out god put a new tooth in that woman's head doc you should have seen that tooth freak you right out man i don't know where they got that material from heaven and betty was still mad because her ear wasn't healed (laughs) i like grandma she had spunk but she came right on the stage to tell us about it so what i'm saying to you let us know when When you stand and something touches you It doesn't have to, it could be any kind of thing It doesn't have to be dynamic to the world It has to be dynamic to your heart God touched you God spoke to my heart Some of the greatest things God will ever do is a power encounter Where he just comes into your heart And changes something on the inside that you couldn't change Just click and it changes Now Father, bless this wonderful people Bless this church Help us Lord to bless the Englands this, this week this Friday is the this memorial service for Dr. Boyd is here. Dr. England is here. Lord, let us honor the family, honor this man. And then let us step into this next week with power and dominion in Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Family Worship Center. If our weekly sermons minister to you, consider partnering with us or giving a one-time donation. To give, visit cogfwc.org slash giving connect with us for all the latest news on services events and more by following us on twitter and facebook